The Art of Being Human presents podcast on the work of Byron Katie. This episode is part of the How to Do the Work series, offering specific instructions on how to develop and improve your own practice of the work. This is session four, The Sub-Questions, with Ernest Holmes Svensson. For more podcasts on the work of Byron Katie, go to www.theartofbeinghuman.com dk slash podcasts. And now, session four, the sub-questions. Hello, my name is Ernest, and in this episode of the How to Do the Work series, we will follow up on your work with the turnarounds and I will give you the few final pieces that will enable you to do a complete process of the work on your own. On the resources page on my website, I've posted a facilitation guide that holds the entire process in a simple one-page overview. We'll be using that later, so I suggest you download it now and have it nearby as you continue to listen to this episode. You can find it at theartofbeinghuman.dk. Click the Podcasts tab in the menu and choose Resources. So, how did it go finding turnarounds and examples? Most people find it a bit difficult in the beginning. First, there are all the linguistics of actually turning the one-liners around in the correct way, and then there is the challenge of finding examples for each of them which, as I discussed in the previous session, can feel like a tall order for a mind that is used to thinking that survival depends on being right. Don't worry, though. Working with the turnarounds and finding examples becomes much easier over time. If you continue to experiment, you'll soon get comfortable with the wording, and as your mind opens, finding solid examples will also become a lot easier. In fact, If you're new to the work, I suggest that you return to the turnarounds episode later on when you have been through the process a few times. There are many details that are so much easier to grasp once you have a little more experience. There's one detail around the turnarounds I haven't mentioned yet. When we work with the Judge Your Neighbor worksheet, we turn around the statements we write under point 6 a little differently from the rest. Number six is the last point on the worksheet where we answer the question, what is it about this situation that you don't ever want to experience again? We turn this one-liner around by going from I don't ever want to I am willing to and then I look forward to. Say you've written under point six, I don't ever want to experience my boss not respecting me again. This one-liner is turned around as follows. I am willing to experience my boss not respecting me again, and I look forward to experiencing my boss not respecting me again. Similarly, I don't ever want Laura to take me for granted again, becomes I am willing for Laura to take me for granted again, and I look forward to Laura taking me for granted again. Other than that, We do everything the same way, finding three examples of how each turned-around statement is true for us in that moment. And if you forget the precise wording, 
you can find it written in the text at the bottom of the worksheet, along with the rest of the turnarounds and the four questions. So everything is right there. The turnaround to number six invites us to open to reality as it is and to fully embrace all of life without fear. If you experience that Laura takes you for granted, okay. If it hurts, write another Judge Your Neighbor worksheet and investigate your thoughts. With the work, uncomfortable feelings can become reminders that we've attached to something that may not be true for us. They are gifts that let us know it's time to identify our stressful beliefs and inquire. Which is not to say that we have to stay in a relationship that we don't want to be in. Maybe working in an environment where your boss speaks to you the way he does doesn't work for you, and you decide to quit. Maybe you end up divorcing Laura and never see her again. But afterwards, as you think about them, are you feeling stress or peace? That's the question. And that's what the work holds in store for us. The possibility to find a place within ourselves where we are willing to experience and even look forward to experiencing anything life can throw at us. So, reminding you of the basics. Find a specific situation to work from, and preferably even a specific moment in that specific situation. Fill in a Judge Your Neighbor worksheet from that moment and make sure to use short, simple sentences. Take each sentence, or one-liner as they are called in the work, through the four questions and the turnarounds, finding examples of how each turnaround is as true or truer for you in that moment. The one-liner in statement number one is what you've written after the word because. And remember to include the beginning of each line in the rest of the one-liners in statements two to six. As in, I want him to, she should, I need, and so on. And finally, the turnaround for statement six is a little different than the rest. It's written at the bottom of the worksheet, and it goes like this. I am willing to, and I look forward to. That's it. Take each one-liner from your worksheet through the entire process. That is, if you've filled out the worksheet and written 15 different sentences, or one-liners, you go through the process of asking the four questions and finding turnarounds and examples 15 times, taking each of the one-liners through the entire process. The amount of time it can take to go through a Judge Your Neighbor worksheet like this varies widely. I usually spend around two hours on it, but I've met people who do it in half an hour, and I've heard of others taking several days. There are many ways to do it. One option is to do it in smaller sections. People often fill out the worksheet one day and then put it aside until they have time to go through it the next. Some even only work with a few individual one-liners each day, taking several days to go through the whole process. Personally, I prefer to go the whole way through once I've started. I notice in my own work that I often spend more time on the first one-liners and then, as I see through more and more of my beliefs, I move on faster, sometimes even going directly to the turnarounds on the last statements. Others seem to prefer to spend shorter time on each one-liner but work through all of them equally, perhaps spending a little extra time when they hit something that feels powerful. 
I know there are those who hear this and think, two hours, oh my God, I can't spend that much time on a single situation. My suggestion is simply to try it. Test it. You may be surprised to discover how much you can find in a situation lasting only a few seconds. And to those who think it sounds like an awful long time to invest in a single worksheet, let me share what I've sometimes heard Byron Katie say. The only thing that requires more energy than doing the work is not doing the work. Some of these situations have pursued us for years. How much time and negative energy have we already wasted on them? Then imagine going through the rest of your life like that. In my experience, a single worksheet can resolve even the most exhausting problems on the spot. And not only those. When we do the work on one situation, it very often has ripple effects on other situations in our lives, settling related issues and preventing similar situations from arising in the future. There's no telling what can be resolved when the mind opens. If you put your time investment into that perspective, I think you'll soon realize, like I have, that it's worth the effort. You can do a little experiment. Try crossing out the name of the person you wrote your first worksheet on and replacing it with that of your mother, or your partner, or one of your colleagues. In many cases, you'll find that it fits them as well which strongly indicates that the problem is, in reality, not about other people at all. It's actually about you. You're the one carrying it around, and you're the one projecting it onto anybody that happens to fit the profile. So when you go through a worksheet, it's not simply that one situation you're working on. It's your map of reality that's changing, and with it, a whole series of other situations in your life, including future ones. To quote the Indian sage Ramana Mahashi, wanting to reform the world without discovering one's own true self is like trying to cover the world with leather to avoid the pain of walking on stones and thorns. It is much simpler to wear shoes. When you go through a worksheet, you're putting on shoes. And for each worksheet you go through, your beliefs relax their hold a little more. For each worksheet, it's a little easier to progress. Until one day, as I explained in one of the early episodes, an upset man comes bursting into your office and starts telling you off, and the only thing you feel is kindness and understanding. But that's my experience. It's of no use to you. You need to do your own work, which is to say, your own worksheets. In my experience, it's not enough to work with a single one-liner every now and then. It can help to relieve an acute attack of pain, panic, or anger, but if we want to uproot the whole network, we need a whole worksheet. As Byron Katie often says, it's not called the work for nothing. Which brings us to the facilitation guide. If you look at the facilitation guide you downloaded from my website earlier, and again, you can find it at theartofbeinghuman.dk under resources in the podcasts menu, you can see the entire process fleshed out. The facilitation guide consists of two pages. On the one side, I've written a few pointers around how to approach different aspects of the process. The role of the client, the role of the facilitator, if you're not working on your own, holding the situation, activating your simulator, and so on. 
If you want to, you can read this at a later point. On the other side, which is the one we'll focus on now, first there is an invitation for you as the client to become mentally and emotionally present in the situation you want to work. Then follows question one to four, and then the instructions on how to turn the thought around and find examples. All of this is what we've covered in the earlier episodes. What's new is the list of bullets you can see under question three, the so-called sub-questions. As I explained in the episode on the four questions, question three, how do you react, what happens when you believe that thought, can be a little tricky. Your aim, as you experience your answers to this question, is to stay in the situation and notice your inner and outer reactions there. But what sometimes happens is that we slip into stories, explanations and defensiveness instead. For instance, we feel someone treated us unfairly and we start explaining why we think that is the case. Or we begin to expand on the background for the situation, or to tell our story about how he did the same thing at some other occasion. In the work, this is usually referred to as going into story. And part of our job as facilitators is to support our client in coming back to the situation when this happens. And obviously, when we work alone, our job is to support ourselves in the same way. It is a delicate balance, because one of our reactions in a particular situation may well be that we remember other similar situations from our past. So, I see images of how he's done this before, and in my mind, I use that as proof of how unfair he is, can be a valid description of your reaction in the situation. And even describing some of the specific images you see as these past situations pop up may work as a description of how you react. But there is a fine line between describing those images and straying into their content and moving your focus away from your reactions in the situation you're working with. One is answering question three. The other is losing yourself into more story. Here are a couple of examples of how not to do the work. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? Well, I get angry, of course. I mean, if everybody acted that way, where would we be? People need to address each other in a proper tone. I remember I read this great book by a professor in literature once, and he said that how we speak to each other is part of defining who we are. This is not the work. This is not how do I react, what happens in that moment. This is a discussion. Here's another way of not answering question three. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? Well, I get angry, of course. Wouldn't you? I mean, you have children. You must have tried something similar. When your kids started in the high school, wasn't it the same? This is also not the work. This is also not how do I react? What happens in that moment? This is an attempt at a conversation. Here's another example of not doing the work. Is it true? Yes. Can you absolutely know that it's true? Yes. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? I get angry. Who would you be without that thought? Happy. Here, what I'm trying to illustrate is the lack of stillness. There's no inquiry. There's just download from what you already believe. And that also is not the work. So, 
to support us in answering question three and to help us explore a bit more of what's going on in us, we can use the sub-questions. I like to visualize our reactions in a certain situation as a house with many different rooms, which, when we slow down and do the work, we can explore one at a time. And question three, then, is our trip around the house. When we are new to the work, or not very experienced in noticing our reactions, we tend to focus on only one or two rooms. What do I say and what do I think or feel in that moment, for example? But there are so many other things we can notice, and that's what the sub-questions help us do. They open the doors to other rooms, so to speak, and allow us to look at other aspects of what is going on in us. What physical sensations arise when you believe that thought? How do you treat the other person when you believe that thought? How do you treat yourself when you believe that thought? What do you think you gain by believing that thought, even if you're not conscious of it? What images of the past and future do you see when you believe that thought? There can be valuable information hidden in these rooms, information that it's worth uncovering and acquainting ourselves with on our journey through the four questions. If you look at the facilitation guide, under question three, above the list of sub-questions, you will find the following text. Let the client answer this question freely, and if it feels right, if you want to and if time allows, you could use some of these sub-questions. I hope you notice the many reservations. If it feels right, if you want to, if time allows, you could use some of these sub-questions. The point is, don't make this a list where you have to tick off every point to feel complete. Allow the client and yourself to find their own way around the house. Give them time and space to explore. And then, if you notice that they have completely missed certain areas, or if you feel a particular inclination to invite them somewhere, use a couple of the questions. Like everything else in the work, it's a flow. Let inquiry be your guide. In the episodes until now, I've primarily discussed the option of going through the worksheet yourself. It's a good way of doing it with many practical advantages. And just as you found the Judge Your Neighbor worksheet online, you can also download a One Believe at a Time worksheet, which is designed for self-facilitation. It involves simply filling out a Judge Your Neighbor worksheet and then taking each one-liner from that worksheet and transferring it to the One Believe at a Time worksheet which then gives you space to answer the four questions and find the examples for the turnarounds as a written meditation. You can find a link for the One Belief at a Time worksheet on the resources page at my website or at thework.com. And there's also an app available for iPhone and iPad if you prefer to go fully digital. Another way of working, however, is to use a facilitator. This is when another person asks the questions helps to find turnarounds, not the examples, just the phrases, and supports you so you don't end up going into stories or get off track in some other way. A facilitator can be very useful, especially when you're new to the work, and there are many ways of finding one. You may well already know somebody who's interested in the work, in which case you can take turns facilitating each other. 
That's a wonderful way of learning and experimenting together, and it works surprisingly well via Skype or FaceTime or other video conferencing systems. There are also many certified facilitators like myself whom you can contact, for example, via thework.com. And another option is to call the Work's free helpline, which is maintained by the Worldwide Association for the Work. It's called the Institute for the Work of Byron Katie, and it has facilitators across the whole world ready to help around the clock. Just as with all the resources on thework.com, it is free and completely anonymous. Nobody will ask who you are. You don't need to sign up to a newsletter or give your contact details. You can just ring or Skype and get started with the work straight away. You can find all the links to these options, including the helpline, on my website. And I wholeheartedly recommend it. Working on the helpline myself, I know that the people there are honestly dedicated to simply helping those who ring up go through their worksheets. So, however you go about it, I hope you will dive in and get some experience with this work. As I said in one of the first episodes, of all the many different tools for working with my mind I've tried out in my time, and that's quite a few, I've never come across anything that comes even remotely close to being as effective as the work. I don't know how you experience it at the moment. Maybe it's a lot to take in, and maybe you feel a little overwhelmed by all the details. In my experience, though, if you simply try it out a couple of times, you'll very soon see the simplicity of the whole thing and be able to focus on the content of your inquiry rather than the structure of the tool itself. I hope that the facilitation guide and the other resources help, and in the coming episodes I'll be sharing examples of people actually doing the work so you'll get a chance to listen in on real sessions, which I hope will also be helpful. I will return to some of the finer details later on, but for now... I'm happy to say that you know all you need to know in order to do the work like a pro. Which means doing it like a beginner, obviously. As they say in Zen, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities, in the experts there are only few. With the work, every time is the first time. So, time for you to practice. In the next episodes, I'll be sharing samples of what it sounds like when others go through the process. Until then, I am Ernest, and I look forward to continuing our journey towards peace, clarity, and the end of suffering. The work of Byron Katie is copyrighted by Byron Katie International. You can read more on www.thework.com. For more podcasts like this one, visit theartofbeinghuman.dk. And feel free to contact me if you have any questions or comments to this podcast. You can find my contact information at theartofbeinghuman.dk or you can simply send an email to ernest at kavm.dk. That is ernest at kiloalphavictormike.dk. Thank you for listening.